If you're tired of these promos, supporters get the podcast early and ad-free. Just go to donate.bogosity.tv for the links to sign up. Welcome to the Bogosity Podcast for the week of October 22, 2023. The podcast that keeps its eye on the sparrow. This is your host, Shane Killian. Let's innervate the news of the bogus. And we'll begin with an update to a case we covered previously, Miller v. Bonta, the California assault weapons ban case. This is the one where Gavin Newsom got all triggered because the judge likened the AR-15 to a Swiss army knife. The judge's decision has now come in, and yes, he found that California's assault weapons ban is completely unconstitutional, as any thinking person could tell you it was. He started off comparing it to a different kind of knife, quote, Like the Bowie knife which was commonly carried by citizens and soldiers in the 1800s, assault weapons are dangerous but useful. But unlike the Bowie knife, the United States Supreme Court has said there is a long tradition of widespread lawful gun ownership by private individuals in this country. This comes on the heels of last month's Duncan v. Bonta, where the same judge overturned the state's ban on large-capacity magazines. State Attorney General Rob Bonta said, quote, Weapons of war have no place on California's streets. This has been state law in California for decades, and we will continue to fight for our authority to keep our citizens safe from firearms that cause mass casualties. That's very telling language, if you ask me. Firearms that cause mass casualties, instead of people that cause mass casualties. But as Benitez ruled, quote, It's our duty as judges to interpret the Constitution based on the text and original understanding of the relevant position, not on public policy considerations, or worse, fear of public opprobrium or criticism from the political branches. Bonta may not like it, but Benitez ruled, There is only one policy enshrined in the Bill of Rights. Guns and ammunition in the hands of criminals, tyrants, and terrorists are dangerous. Guns in the hands of law-abiding responsible citizens are necessary. To give full life to the core right of self-defense, every law-abiding responsible individual citizen has a constitutionally protected right to keep and bear firearms commonly owned and kept for lawful purposes. John Dillon, attorney for the plaintiffs, said, quote, It seems like the court has applied the standards properly and correctly. There's no doubt about it. We're glad that our plaintiffs' rights are going to be respected. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals had decided to send the case back down to Benitez in light of the Bruin decision. Once again, he rejected every single one of the state's arguments, this time even more forcefully. He accused the state of, quote, grasping at straws, and ruled, notwithstanding having significant time to do so, the state has identified no national tradition of firearm regulation so broad in its coverage or so far-reaching in its effect as its extreme assault weapon statutes. He also ruled about the absurdity of the laws, quote, Modern semi-automatic rifles like the AR-15 platform rifle are widely owned by law-abiding citizens across the nation. 
Other than their looks, the state calls them features or accessories, these prohibited rifles are virtually the same as other lawfully possessed rifles. As for their go-to excuse, mass shootings, he ruled, People have heard about the Robb Elementary School shooting in Uvalde, Texas. They have heard about Sandy Hook, Parkland, the Pulse nightclub, and other tragic mass shootings. But they do not hear of the AR-15 used in Florida by a pregnant wife and mother to defend her family from two armed, hooded, and masked home intruders. As soon as the armed intruders entered the back door of her home, they pistol-whipped her husband, fracturing his eye socket and sinus cavity. Then they grabbed the 11-year-old daughter. The pregnant wife and mother was able to retrieve the family AR-15 from a bedroom and fire, killing one of the attackers while the other fled. It does not require much imagination to think what would have happened next if the woman had lived in California and could not possess a firearm. He gave several other examples and then wrote, In California, while modern semi-automatics are not rare, they are rarely the problem. For example, in 2022, only three assault weapons were used in violent California crimes, according to the Attorney General's annual report. For the preceding year, the report announced that only two assault weapons were used in violent crimes, while the 2020 report identified zero assault weapons used. Other government homicide statistics do not track assault rifles, but they do show the killing-by-knife attack is far more common than homicide by any kind of rifle. In California, with a population close to 39 million people, murder by knife occurs seven times more often than murder by rifle. Of course, this is a type of means-end scrutiny that Bruin has made irrelevant for judging the constitutionality of a firearm ban because the people of the United States have already made the decision long ago to protect a citizen's choice to possess and use any common firearm for self-defense. The state says criminals already have and favor using guns described as assault weapons. Rather than being outgunned, many citizens want these same firearms as a defense against criminal attacks. The state's attempt to ban these popular firearms creates the extreme policy that a handful of criminals can dictate the conduct and infringe on the freedom of law-abiding citizens. The Second Amendment stands as a shield from government imposition of that policy. He stayed the decision for 10 days so the state could take it up to the Fifth Circuit. But even if they were to somehow find a lame excuse to reverse it, it's clear the Supreme Court would have no choice but to strike down these laws for the whole country. And the ordinary American, whether gun owner or not, will be much better off for it. If you're looking for a way to support this channel, but you don't have any spare cash and you can't stand ads, you can do so by generating your own cryptocurrency. Use the links at the bottom of the description to follow the link to odyssey.com to listen to the podcast and see all of my YouTube videos as well. Just watching videos will produce cryptocurrency for the creator and yourself. And since Odyssey is always monetized and never censored, you'll have no problem seeing all the videos from your favorite creators. You can also use the library credits you created Odyssey to tip creators and even purchase paid content. Earn library credits through various rewards, including daily view rewards and the number of shares and invites. And you can interact with creators in all sorts of ways, including like and dislike, 
comment, boost a post by supporting it, repost it, and share to other sites, all while earning crypto for the creator. Easily monetize yourself and your favorite creators using cryptocurrency without advertising. Use the link below to visit this channel on odyssey.com and see many of your other favorites there as well. This one is just bizarre. The popular Linux distro Ubuntu released their new 23.10 version and then very quickly pulled it. Why? Because of hate speech that somehow slipped right past everybody. A malicious contributor went into the localizations for the installer and changed the Ukrainian language instructions to instructions for how to circumcise yourself and have gay sex, as well as how much of it is supported by your synagogue. It was actually much worse than that, but you get the idea. It only affected the live CD installer when viewed in the Ukrainian language, and didn't affect the actual installation in any way. Canonical, the company behind Ubuntu, released a statement that said, quote, Shortly after release, we identified hate speech from a malicious contributor in a specific set of translations of the Ubuntu desktop installer UI and have taken immediate action. These translations are being removed, and an updated ISO will be available to download once we have replaced the offending material. It is important to note that these translations are not part of the Ubuntu archive, and we believe the incident is contained only to translations provided via a third-party translation tool we use for a subset of applications. Uh, this doesn't look to me like it's the result of any third-party translation tool. It's some anti-Semitic and homophobic comments that some joker put in and just left. Really, what possible third-party tool could translate English into this kind of crap? And remember, Canonical is a for-profit corporation. But the really disturbing thing about this is not the hate speech, which wasn't up for long and wouldn't have been downloaded by that many people, let alone the subset of Ubuntu users who installed it in Ukrainian. No, it's how did malicious code like this make it into a release? I mean, if they can slip stuff like this into an installer, what else could they slip in? I'm not the only one wondering that. In the replies to Ubuntu's announcement on Twitter X, Kazik replied, I trust Ubuntu because it's the most widely used, so it should have the best review team. But if this happened with translations and no one saw, imagine with dependencies and malware injected. I think no one reviews anything. Master Link replied, Well, I guess the cat's out of the bag, and I suspected it for a decade. Canonical has no sanitization team. Without one, this kind of stuff happens. And now the bigger question is going to be asked. What else is hiding that you didn't know about, security-wise? Adam replied, If this is true, then that means you're not beta testing the non-English versions of your distro. The possibilities for malware from bad faith actors are huge. This is something that needs to be bridged. You're not elementary OS. You're a large company, and this should not happen. The main point is, it doesn't seem like anyone in Ubuntu is testing the Ukrainian language version in-house, which also makes it weird that it was caught and pulled that quickly. But it's a fair question. What else is not getting tested? How much of their open source code never has any eyeballs landing on it? 
This is actually the same sort of problem we've seen with other prominent open source tools like the Bash Shell and OpenSSL. Open source is great because a thousand eyeballs can be on the code checking for anything malicious. But just because it can be doesn't mean that's what's actually happening. And this is why a lot of people say don't immediately get the new release of any software. They wait a bit for security reports and maybe even for a point release. I don't have a pithy ending for this story. It's just weird and embarrassing for Canonical and the Ubuntu developer community. And hopefully it means that code reviews and audits will improve. And everyone will benefit from that. If you're on the Wi-Fi in a coffee shop or hotel, anyone on that network can get your traffic. Do you really trust all of those strangers? For that matter, do you really trust your ISP? A VPN can protect you from prying eyes, disguise your location, and even foil government sensors. It's essential in this day and age. So go to vpn.bogosity.tv and you'll be taken to BoxPN. Starting at just $2.99 a month, you can get unlimited high-speed connections to VPN servers all over the world. And they don't log connections, so your privacy is assured. Traveling abroad, just VPN home, and don't worry about what those other governments are doing. Back at home, stop your ISP from traffic shaping and messing with the quality internet access you're paying good money for. You can connect from multiple machines at once, including your smartphone or tablet, and it supports all the secure standards, including OpenVPN and SSTP. Bypass sensors and surveillance with your own secure VPN connection. Go to vpn.pagosity.tv. And another update, this time on the Kiwi Farm story. We covered the absolutely unhinged response to the site, including being censored by services such as DDoS Guard and Cloudflare, which, let's be clear, just makes you and me more vulnerable even if we never go to the site. See our previous coverage if you want more details on that. Turns out it's even worse. Hurricane Electric, one of the Tier 1 backbone providers, refused to pass on any traffic to or from the site. That's very concerning, because the backbone is supposed to be as neutral as it gets. And keep in mind, none of that was based on a court order. These companies just decided to do it on their own. Probably the most concerning part of all of this is that it was all based on copyright infringement, not any sort of criminal activity, although there were plenty of allegations of that. The allegations come from Russell Greer after Kiwi Farms targeted him because of his lawsuit against Taylor Swift. He wrote a book and recorded a song about the experience, and pirated versions of those files made it to the site. Greer sent a DMCA takedown, but the site's owner, Joshua Moon, refused to take down the content and published Greer's takedown notice with his email and personal address redacted. So Greer sued in federal court in 2021, saying that Moon knowingly permitted the infringement, but the court found that, although Moon knew about the content, he has to have been shown to, quote, induce, cause, or materially contribute to the infringing activity, which the court found he hadn't, so they dismissed the claim. Although they acknowledged that, quote, people on Kiwi Farms had said vile things about him and made his life miserable, there wasn't any actual copyright liability. So Greer took it up with the Tenth Circuit Court of Appeals, and they concluded that, yes, the mere knowledge of it was sufficient, and the case can continue in the lower court. Their reasoning is very concerning. 
While acknowledging that simply permitting the infringing material wasn't enough, they found that, simply by publishing the DMCA notice, that constituted encouragement. They ruled. Mr. Greer sent repeated requests to Mr. Moon, identifying the materials on which he held the copyright, as well as where and how his rights were being infringed. Mr. Moon not only expressly refused to remove the materials, he mockingly posted the correspondence to Kiwi Farms. Under the circumstances, this is not the passive behavior of one merely permitting infringing material to remain on his site. Rather, we conclude a reasonable inference from the facts alleged is that the reposting of the takedown notice combined with the refusal to take down the infringing material amounted to encouragement of Kiwi Farms users' direct copyright infringement. So basically, this is a major signal to websites not to be transparent about their DMCA notices. If you get a DMCA claim you believe is bogus, you refuse to take down the content, but you tell people it happened and publish the notice, all of a sudden, you've committed contributory infringement. I've always maintained that one way to tell a decision is bad is how long-winded, wordy, and confusing it is. And this ruling is a perfect example. Just listen to how they hand-waved away fair use. Quote, Perhaps to get around the bar of waiver, Mr. Moon and Kiwi Farms describe fair use as more than an affirmative defense. The language of the statute makes it clear that fair use is not infringement at all. But we decline the invitation to transfigure fair use into an unwaivable defense. And, in trying to have it both ways, they said that Moon claiming it was protected fair use, quote, sufficiently alleged that Mr. Moon knew of the alleged direct infringement. So, if you don't claim it's fair use, you can't get it thrown out because it's fair use. If you do claim fair use, you acknowledge that the infringement was knowledgeable. Unbelievable. And as law professor Eric Goldman points out, quote, The court seems to be saying that Moon's inaction was okay, but Moon's inaction plus posting the takedown notice is not okay. What? As for the claim of encouragement, quote, Ugh. First, the common law contributory infringement elements refer to induce, cause, or materially contribute direct infringement, not encourage. The term encourage comes from the Grokster inducement test, but the court is very clear that it is applying the common law contributory infringement test, not the inducement test. So in its effort to accommodate a pro se complaint, the court conflated the two doctrines and messed up long-standing contributory copyright infringement principles. I view this outcome as a situation where the court bent copyright's legal rules to favor a pro se plaintiff and to punish Kiwi Farms for its mockery and harassment. That makes it dubious precedent on all points. And now it goes back down to the lower court for further adjudication. Unless Moon appeals to the Supreme Court, it may be a challenge to even them to unravel all of this. Or, as Goldman put it, quote, Oi, what a mess. Do you have children? Or nieces or nephews? Are you homeschooling? Or just want to counter some of the socialist indoctrination most children get in school? 
If so, go to bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins, and you'll be taken to a website where you can get some great books for elementary-aged children. The Tuttle Twins books are books about liberty and free market economics that include children's versions of Bastiat's The Law, Leonard Reed's I, Pencil, and Hayek's The Road to Serfdom, as well as books about the Federal Reserve and how regulations protect business cronies. They'll learn about the harm caused by eminent domain, or regulations passed in the name of safety, and fundamental concepts of of liberty. And as you can see from the sample pages on the website, they're all easy to read and nicely illustrated. They're just $9.99 a piece, or get a special discount as well as free bonuses when you purchase all five. You can even buy in bulk to donate to schools and local libraries. So get the Tuttle Twins books at bogosity.tv slash Tuttle Twins. <laughs> And now it's time to sloganize this week's Biggest Boganimeter. We've seen before how Ricky Schroeder went from being a horrible child actor to being a horrible human being. In showing how the right wants to censor just as much as the left, he created the pretentiously named Council on Pornography Reform. As part of a coalition of the most terrible people on the right, they filed an amicus brief for the Fifth Circuit regarding Texas's Save the Children Law, HB 1181, requiring adult sites to post public health warnings about how pornography is addictive, something backed up by absolutely no scientific evidence whatsoever. Seriously, it's been studied! Like, a lot! They also required the age verification check, just like several state laws that we've talked about quite a lot, so I won't go over it yet again. Anyway, the court struck it down as an incredible First Amendment violation, being actually forced speech, which can be worse than an infringement on free speech. So Texas appealed to the Fifth Circuit. It's being fought by a coalition of adult sites and the Free Speech Coalition. Pay attention because this bit's confusing. The law was supposed to go into effect September 1st. The lower court issued a preliminary injunction preventing it from being enforced. The Fifth Circuit stayed that injunction, meaning it can now be enforced. An excellent amicus brief was submitted by a group including the ACLU, the EFF, FIRE, and others. They went over the age verification arguments on how it impermissibly burdens all users, robs users of their privacy, raises cybersecurity concerns, and denies access to many lawful users. On the issue of compelled speech, they wrote, It is well settled that the government cannot force a private speaker to be an instrument for fostering public adherence to an ideological point of view he finds unacceptable. But HP 1181 would do exactly that, forcing websites containing lawful sexual content to publish Texas's criticism of that material under pain of punishment. If the First Amendment protects anything, it protects the right of speakers to express themselves in ways the government dislikes, and to do so without first reciting a state-mandated warning. And then there's Ricky Rick. His group's amicus brief is as silly as it is unconstitutional, starting with the usual excuse proffered by conservatives that the First Amendment only covers political speech. For some bizarre reason, they cover a lot of cases that made their same arguments that the Supreme Court struck down, including Reno v. ACLU and Ashcroft v. ACLU. 
The last time I saw an amicus provide evidence against its own arguments was the one submitted by the Babylon Bee. They stand by the old laughable phrase in Jacobellus v. Ohio, where the test was described as, I know it when I see it, although they neatly avoided citing that case. They even screeched, The Supreme Court has usurped state power by imposing the First Amendment upon the common law of obscenity. And they compared it to all sorts of unrelated and likely unconstitutional forms of speech, including seditious libel. Really, if you've taken an 8th grade civics class, or even just watched my quickies, you'd see immediately how all these arguments are specious and laughably so. I mean, when you have to call for the overturning of more than a dozen by my count First Amendment cases, you're most likely violating the First Amendment. So all of that makes Ricky Schroeder this week's biggest bogan emitter. I want to tell you about the eyeglasses I've been wearing for years. As people can see on my videos, I have a very strong prescription, which makes glasses more expensive, especially when I need computer glasses, reading glasses, prescription sunglasses, and most expensively, progressive lenses for general everyday wear. To save money while still getting quality glasses, I get them from Fermu. In fact, I just got a pair of progressives with high-index aspherical lenses and a nice pair of frames my wife loves for just over $100. It would have been $500 to get them through my eye doctor. Not only do they look good, the glasses are durable. I've worn many pairs for several years without problems. All orders come with a 30-day return policy, a 3-month warranty, and one-on-one -on -one customer service. Go to Firmu, that's F-I-R-M-O-O dot TV, anytime you need quality glasses at a low price. Once again, that's Firmu dot TV. And now let's recapitalize this week's Idiot And this week it goes to the Social Security Administration for, on numerous occasions, declaring a person in open court and very much demonstrably alive to be, in fact, dead. The story centers around Madeline Michelle Carthen, who was wrongly declared dead in 2007 due to a clerical error by the SSA. At the time, she was a business technology student at Webster University. When she applied for financial aid, she was denied on the grounds that she was dead. She contacted the SSA, who told her she was incorrectly added to the death master file. They admitted it was done, quote, in error. That should have been the end of it, right? No. To this day, she's trying to get herself declared alive after numerous failed attempts, including a 2019 lawsuit. She had to drop out of school, she's been fired from jobs, kicked out of homes, and even denied her right to vote, all because the SSA says she died in 2007. She told KSDK in St. Louis, quote, Here I am, still stuck, and nobody can help. I just want answers. The SSA told NBC that the number of people incorrectly listed as dead is less than one-third of one percent. But that's still about 10,000 people, and that's just the ones they know about. The Guardian reports, quote, 
The SSA urges anyone who believes they were wrongfully listed as dead to visit their local Social Security office and bring one form of identification, such as a passport, driver's license, a school report card, or a marriage, divorce, or adoption record. But apparently not a Social Security card. The problem is, when Carthen did that, she wasn't removed from the list. She was just given a death-erroneous letter to prove that she was still alive, but the letter hasn't proven all that effective. She even tried changing her surname, which was originally Coburn, and obtained a new Social Security number in 2021. It still didn't work, because her new SSN is linked to her old one. The most ridiculous aspect of this story? She's qualified for SSI disability because of health issues. So all of that makes the Social Security Administration this week's Idiot Well, that wraps up this South Passaic edition of the Bogosity Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go to donate.bogosity.tv for several ways to support and discord.bogosity.tv to join the discussion. Subscribe at Patreon or Subscribestar, and you can listen early and ad-free. Thank you for listening. Until next time, here's a quote from H.L. Mencken. I have believed all my life in free thought and free speech, up to and including the utmost limits of the endurable. The Bogosity Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution on Commercial Low Derivatives 4.0 International License. Bogosity.